Series 2 of the Build Me A Brewery podcast is proudly partnered with Lalamon Brewing to bring you the best commercial brewing information and advice. Lalamon Brewing has been supporting both the home brewing and professional brewing community for decades with high quality products and technical know-how to ensure your beer is the best it can be. Choose Lalamon Brewing because they brew with you. Welcome, you're listening to the Build Me A Brewery podcast, and my name is Chris Hayton, your host. In today's episode, we begin our wild ales and fermentation segment where we chat with brewery owners that are pushing the envelope in regards to the unique types of beers they produce in offering to the craft beer market. In part one, I had the pleasure of speaking with Marrickville-based brewery owner of Wildflower, Topher Bowen, to discuss their unique brewing and beer offerings in relation to wild yeast and, and barrel-aged blending. I was very much excited to have Topher on the podcast to discuss how he uses wild yeast that he has collected and cultivated over the years from regional bushlands of New South Wales to express one-of-a-kind beers that not even the hardcore beer punters have experienced before. His childhood always evolved around making good food from scratch and learning to have a craft that can be perfected over time that should never be clouded or hurried by things like money or popularity and this reflects in his business philosophies with Wildflower. He's a big believer in starting small and scaling up organically within your means as he shares with the audience some interesting business advice for those looking at starting a brewery, especially in regards to the unique business model they have established. So I'll leave you to it then. I hope you enjoy our chat with Topher Boehm from Wildflower Brewing and Blending. This episode is proudly supported by DME Process Systems, manufacturers of the gear that brews the beer in Australia and around the world. Visit dmebrewing.com to learn more about their brew houses, cellar tanks, and accessory equipment trusted by thousands of breweries around the world. DME Gear has been used for 30 years and is built to last, and their first brew house still brews beer today. Build a brewery with the DME team. They'll help you build a system that will fit your brewery owner dreams and production goals. dmebrewing.com to learn more. That's dmebrewing.com. Well, welcome, Topher, to the Build Me Brewery podcast. Thanks for coming on, mate. Thanks so much, Chris, and thanks for thanks for having me. Really do appreciate it. And I think if times were slightly different you know, with this lockdown, our Sydney siders uh, are currently in, it might have been a lot better experience to be able to come out of the brewery and do it there in, in the tap room and, and, and get to sort of see everything that you guys are doing maybe maybe another time in the future we could do that but but just to give the the audience a bit of a, a i guess an idea of what this topic or, or episodes going to be about it's it's essentially going to feature within um i guess we're going to call it the wild ales and fermentations segment where what we're trying to explore and share for the listeners is breweries who are doing things slightly different to the run of the mill traditional breweries out there that many of us have come to know. So I'm excited to have you on Topher to to talk about the unique brewing style and, and beer offerings that you provide to the craft beer market. You guys have built up quite a, a reputation on producing you know one of a kind beers by developing your own unique wild yeast strain and, and coming up with flavors that I guess the hardcore beer punters have, have never really experienced before. So I think it's Going to give the audience another business model concept to consider, especially as the craft beer market 
becomes more and more saturated. And um, this might give some inspiration on how to slightly do things different and, and offer a unique product offering to the market for, for aspiring brewery owners. But before we get into all that, mate, I uh, want to get to know a bit about yourself and what you've been doing before Wildflower and, and I guess how the story of it all came to be. Sure. Yeah. And, and just thank you again for sharing um, your platform to, to me and, and our little team, our little family brewery here, um, in order to talk about what we do. So I guess brewing for me is really an expression of, of something I can do on my own. This is how it started. Something I can do on my own, a craft, a task, a sort of a cooking method um, that you could, I could work on uh, solo, but, but, but share in a community. And um, for me, beer itself is, is very much a convivial product. Like I, I grew up in a big family, six kids, Irish Catholics in, um, in Dallas, Texas. And um, the door, like our front door literally didn't have a latch on it. Like you just pushed it open and that's, that was an open door policy. Essentially every single day um, there was someone new in the house and very, my childhood was very much surrounded by food and, and, and wine. My mom's a really good cook and a great baker as well. Excellent gardener too. But um, is that something that sons have to say about their mom's cooking? Is it? Well, I don't, I don't know if everyone does. Uh, <laughs> mom's actually really good cook. <laughs> um, it's, 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 yeah, it's really nice going home, particularly with pastry, like, and, and cakes and cookies. She's so good. Um, and it's, yeah, cool. it's amazing. But, you know, I, I grew up eating everything. Like, there, was, there was no packet food growing up. And I look back and realize how lucky I was, especially, you know, growing up in the 90s in, in the US. But maybe some of that's changed now, but uh, it's the same here. I mean, we didn't we didn't shop from the the aisles of the supermarket, right? You only shop on the outsides of the supermarket because that's where things that's where the food gets turned over more. Like that's the fresh areas, the dairy, the veg, the meat. We didn't get our meat from the supermarket anyway. But um, uh, we there were none of those boxes. Mom, mom was a food scientist. She she said food science, so she would you know back in the 90s she'd be looking at the backs of packets of things and just seeing all these chemicals that she studied at university you know to she was kind of focused on dairy at university but um she's like no I don't want to consume that shit so we'll just make it from scratch so I mean everything was say everything but the vast majority of things that we ate were either grown or grown at home or, or cooked um from, from scratch and so I've taken that I suppose I've adopted that approach and so when I got into beer, I, I really got into beer because I moved to Australia and uh, I had a brother at the time who was living in Seattle. Sorry, I had a brother who at the time was living in Seattle. And one of his friends, um, one of his really close friends, introduced me to really good beer. And um, his, his friend's a brewer by the name of Steve Luke, who at the time was, was working for Elysian. And Steve now owns uh, Cloudburst Brewing in Seattle, which is a really acclaimed brewery there. But he... I remember vividly sitting in my brother's backyard. This would have been like 2010, 2011, probably 2010. Steve brings over a pin, which is a five liter. Uh, is a pin a five liter? I can't remember. It's a cask. Um, so maybe it's five or 10 liters. It's a smaller cask. We had a party at my brother's house and he, he poured this beer on cask that was a continuously hopped IPA through ferment. And he called it hop juice. This oh, is 2010. Nice. 
And I remember tasting that beer and going like, holy shit, this is amazing. I love this. And, you know, this is biotransformation before hazies were even a thing. And I came to Australia, started to study university. I was out here in 2009, ended up meeting my now wife, and, and I decided to come back here for, for university. So I started university here, and I remember looking for a beer like what I had tasted in my brother's backyard. Little did I know at that time that that was like a pretty special place to be Seattle in, you know, the 2009 to 2012 era in terms of craft beer and the access to hops and Yakima and all those things. But I remember looking in the shelves, supermarket looking for, or at the thing at the um, bottle shop looking for IPAs and tasting one, just being so utterly disappointed based on what I had. So I, Right then and there, decided. Well, I guess I'll just have to brew it because that was how we did things. You know, you just okay. We'll make it. Well, what's in what's in beer, barley, or what? So started getting into home brewing, and it was also at the time of university, so it was a great time to be making beer because you had plenty of people to help you drink it. So there was a. I started brewing. So I did one batch of uh, of um, like a kit and kilo batch from with the uh, ingredients bought at Dave's Homebrew Supply just in North Sydney. So this is 2011 and. It was no good. So I decided, well, I can't use these like extracted or sort of processed ingredients. I've got to go straight to the source. So second batch of beer was all grain and I made a little creature's parallel copy clone and it was pretty good. And so I was hooked. So all throughout university was brewing and there was a tip jar on the top of the four tap kegerator and well, friends would come over. You just chuck in a fiber and drink as much as you like bought ingredients for the next batch. And so I just pretty much brewed every weekend for a while. And then uh, at the time I was, I was playing lacrosse, which is this American sport um, with a group of expats here in Sydney and two other American expats have to be playing lacrosse at there. And their names are Chris Sidwa and Andrew Finneran, who um, of course ended up opening batch in 2013. And so when I was doing, I, I went to university, I studied um physics like uh, astrophysics so, so i suppose wouldn't call myself an astronomer because i didn't do my phd but that's what i was studying and and andrew and chris came to me and said hey you know we've tasted some of your homebrew like we're gonna open this brewery do you do you want to give us a hand and so yeah sure of course and um basically said to them like look uh you know i'll work very cheaply or without pay or whatever i just love to know the decisions that you make so this is um 20 early 2013 we opened Batch in December of 2013 and uh, started working with them as they were building out the space. Um, but I was still at university, so I wasn't there very often, but built, built a lot of the tables and parts of the bar and like physically we're building things inside the the building that where Batch still is now. And then um, opened in, in December of 13. And by that stage, I mean, pretty much straight away, got pretty busy and Andrew and Chris were taking out, looking after the the business, Andrew was, sorry, Chris was very much still the brewer, but by 20, 2014, I decided, okay, well, I won't go straight to my PhD or my honors. I'll just, I'll just put that aside and I'll experiment with this brewing thing. Um, and went full time at Batch as their first employee and became, I suppose, their, their brewer for a number of years there and got to brew everything under the sun and get, dip my toe into um, professional brewing. So it was kind of a, pretty um like natural progression i suppose but lucky happenstance and happen chance in terms of where i was at any one time yeah wow so some of the previous write-ups that 
has been done about yourself and, and the and wildflower. I understand a lot of your influences have come from Belgian style beers and European style beers, especially in that France, Belgian sort of region. Is is that right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I, I started to get more interested. So I was very lucky and I think the brewers who are working at Batch are still quite lucky because you get to you get to really let your imagination run wild, you know. The, the name of the brewery is Batch in the sense that everything is different. You know, it was 2013 opening without a core range. Like that's pretty, again, quite forward thinking. You know, now, now we see breweries doing that who are, you know, hazy IPA breweries. But there wasn't a core range to, to start with. And so we got to brew all kinds of different things. And the, the beers that, that I always ended up being drawn to were the ones that were more yeast expressive. Um, the ones that had more fermentation character from them. So I sort of got more and more into Saison and uh, mixed culture beer, sour beer. And in 2015, left Batch to live in Europe with my wife, who was studying in northern Spain for the year. So spent the year there and wasn't able to work legally. So that was great for me because I, I surfed a lot in the, the Cantabrian Sea and started to write down some thoughts for a business plan um, for for the brewery. So I spent the better part of a few months writing that, um, surfing in the morning and writing in the afternoon and kind of fleshing out these thoughts. And amongst that writing and being living in this town and enjoying all the things that Northern Spain has to offer, which has so many, particularly gastronomy. I was doing little trips around Europe to go stage, essentially go work for one or two weeks at different places, different breweries, and just get a sense of how other operations worked. Um, you know, y'all, you would know through the research in this in this podcast that the way that every business runs and the nature of the the business and how that bakes itself into the beer and um, and then the, the customer group and all these things are really intertwined. And so it was really fascinating to see what business models are, you know, like how, what family businesses looked like really. And that was what I learned mostly in, in Europe and, you know, how to keep things at a kind of a manageable level. Um, but yeah, in the industry, I was drawn to these more yeast driven beers, not, not only because of the the flavors directly with them, but actually more because of the commonalities that they share with other fermented beverages, like not, not beer. Um, and I was married in 2013 to my wife and was making big hoppy beers both at home and at work. And they just weren't things that she enjoyed. And it really dawned on me that this was a strange thing to do with my life if I wasn't able to share it. It'd be like cooking, uh, being a chef yeah. of, a, of a cuisine that, that um, <laughs> your, your significant other doesn't, doesn't enjoy. So and, and much to my, you know, pretty ignorant surprise, these styles of beer, particularly ones with a bit of acid, my wife really enjoyed. You know, we we realized that when I opened a bottle of Jester King with her, you know, on a holiday, well, I can't remember what year that was. And then eventually when we went back to Texas where I'm from and visited Jester King, all of these flavors, she really enjoyed it. I actually found the environments that were surrounding um, not aggressive beers, so not heavy hopped or heavy, heavy. ABV, those environments were much more inviting um, to her. And that was something that I wanted to see more in the industry. And that was a direct, I suppose, reason for, for opening Wildflower. Not only the aesthetic, how we treat our beer, how our space looks, 
who we hire, but uh, but also the beer itself. You know, the, this desire for subtlety and nuance, and yeah, kind of a kind of a a, a lower a lower degree of everything. Sort of no no aggression. Um, I, I think that those are beers that that can be enjoyed by more people. And I guess lastly, the other thing that kind of drove me down this road is a desire to to make something that's from here. You know, uh, I come from the states. What, why, why? And I, when I go home, which I haven't been for a while, but when I go back there, you know, I'm tasting IPA as it was designed in that area. You know, my sister lived in San Diego for a while, so it was a t- you know, why would we reappropriate these styles to? an area that it doesn't necessarily suit, you know, especially with our taxation laws here. I mean, now if you're a very small brewery, it doesn't matter so much, but um, you know, 7% IPA is going to be an expensive beer to, to put out into the market. Like, and also who wants to drink a 7%? I don't want to drink a 7% IPA on a 40 degree day. Not that all days are 40 degrees in Sydney, but why don't we make beers that are more suitable for our climate, not only temperature, but also our, political climate our, our social interactions in australia the way that the way that people drink here is very different than the way that they drink in the states so i wanted to make beers that have that sense of place for their market where they where they sit who drinks them how they're drunk um, but also from from what's inside of the bottle and that's really more important i mean why were we making australian LLs with cascade hops i you know it didn't make sense not that some people were doing that we export so much barley in Australia, and yet I know brewers who buy in barley from overseas for their beers. And sure, I mean, I know that not everything, not every type of grade of barley can be, is being malted right now in Australia. Sure, that's fine. Maybe there's something that you want. But I had a desire in my personal endeavor of making beer to, to utilize what's here and to work with what we have uh, to make something that that is that is drinkable and and no no more like the the most important element of that for me was was the yeast culture like was the the yeast that's fermenting in itself yeast is by far the most expressive no i wouldn't even call it an ingredient but people talk about it as an ingredient like a you know the four ingredients in beer but it's certainly the thing that transforms i mean wort tastes nothing like beer right and we know that, and it's yeast that that changes wort in, into beer. That, for me, is the most important element of the process. And so, that to start wildflower had to be from here. Um, it had to be from this place, and then the beers themselves would be expressive of place by nature of of that yeast. And then, you know, of course, there's other there's other ingredients, the grown ingredients, the, the two grown ingredients, your cereals and and, and your hops. Um, so to start wildflower, we always we've always worked with 100% New South Wales cereals, and now 98% of those cereals are not only New South Wales, but also certified organically grown by a single farm in in Colliambly, in Colliambly, New South Wales. There's another farm just down the road from Colliambly, the Greenwoods, who who, who grow our barley and wheat, um, who were. We, we get a different wheat from every once in a while called, called Woodstock, and they're also a certified organic farm. They also sell flour if there's any home bakers out there. Their flour is incredible. Yeah, so all this malt um, has always been uh, from here. And then um, hops are sort of a slow one that are coming along 
But we'll get there eventually in terms of being state-grown ingredients. But for me, I had to start with the yeast. And so that, that, of course, influenced the way, how we set up the brewery, the flavor of the beers. I mean, it influenced everything. I like that approach, right? That you're, what you want to do changes the brew house that you purchase. It changes the physical dynamics of your brewery. I mean, you, 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 you couldn't just, I couldn't walk out of this place and someone walk in and start a, um, an IPA brewery. It's, it's, it's similar to like if someone was having like a cask brewery here in Sydney, like, so like a cask, cask ales. You couldn't just walk out of that place and someone else walk right in and start making lager. Like you, you need different equipment um, to do those things. And so we knew what type of beer we wanted to make and with what ingredients, for lack of a better term. And so that's, that's, that's how we started, I guess. Yeah. And I also heard, I guess I know you said we don't want to call it an ingredient, but for the audience, the main ingredient for you guys is, is your yeast. And it's a, a very interesting story on how you've cultivated and, and developed, you know, all your different yeast strains. Um, I heard that, you know, you pretty much went all around New South Wales collecting samples and strains from bark, from flowers, from, from whatever you could find out in the wild. And and basically have just nitpicked and, and fine-tuned those strains to the ones that you like. And that's now what you're pretty much brewing with. Is, is that right? Yeah, it's, that's pretty much exactly right. The only thing I would like, yeah, for me to continue that story, we knew we wanted, I knew I wanted to make something that was from here. You mentioned at the start that what we do is different than uh, run-of-the-mill traditional breweries, I think was the term they used. Yep. And I would say that uh, we're different from run-of-the-mill conventional breweries. Traditional uh, is a weird word, but pre-1890, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go to a lab to get yeast, mm. right? So if you think about the amount of time that we've been making beer or the amount of time that we've been making fermented beverages, which is a very, very long time, particularly on this continent, there's evidence of thousands and thousands of years old fermented beverages. This is a, this idea of what is a conventional ferment is is actually quite young so the the source of yeast yeast is anywhere in the environment it's everywhere anywhere that there's sugar and as an outsider to this country i was very drawn to the to the flora and to the beauty and the uniqueness of australiana really but australian flora particularly and um i was interested that if uh maybe there would be unique microflora on the unique flora that you know has developed on this landmass that's been separated from the rest of the world for longer than any other landmass. And the concept was that by cultivating or harvesting or borrowing yeast off of unique flora, that we would be partnering with nature and preparing the conditions for a fermentation in multiparley by putting these micro these these different yeasts that are on the unique flowers, particularly, to, to work in a substrate, you know, wort and uh, allowing them to express themselves in a way that maybe they hadn't been able to express themselves before. And by that concept, we would really be, like I said, partnering with nature in, in, in aiding the creation of flavors. Um, there's so many yeasts in the world, like so many different strains, like, like just completely uncountable amounts of different strains. And the interaction between different strains, if you're doing a, you know, the different, the multi-pitch, like a, you know, different, um, more, more than one type of uh, yeast, like a non-monoculture fermentation, produces so many different flavors. You know, some of these 
wild yeasts like um, Brettanomyces can go through a process called transesterification where they rip up one ester and recombine it to be a different one. Like how cool is that? Mm-hmm. I wanted to, to, to see what flavors native yeast would give and to put that in a bottle and say, here, th- taste this. This is what happens. So yeah, for a while, I just stuck flowers into wort and allowed them to ferment. And the ones that tasted good, the beer that resulted from that, we just continued to brew it and kept it alive. And now, now it's a lot like a, a sourdough starter. Um, we, have a house, we have a single house culture that we add to that ferments the vast majority of our beer. We have a handful of beers that are fermented with different strains. Like uh, we have a beer called Waddle Drops, which is entirely a waddle ferment. And we do have some spontaneous beer here. The brewery, uh, we do some beers that are fermented straight from wine fermentations. The vast majority of our beer is fermented with this house culture, which is all of those bugs that I collected in 2015, put together with the ones that I liked, uh, put together. And when we started in 2016, we started brewing December 16. I blended with them, with all of the bugs, a single strain of, of a Saison strain from the DuPont brewery. Um, in Belgium, and it was a bit of an insurance policy. I think knowing what I know now, I probably didn't need to do that, but that was what I had learned. Another brewery I'd worked at for a little bit of time, and since then, we collect our yeast out of one fermentation and pitch it into the subsequent one. I mean, it's a very simple, very manageable way to to make beer, I suppose. Mm. And so, I don't know. We've used the term traditional and run of the mill, but I guess if we talk about the breweries that we've come to know today, you know, there's the hot side and the cold side. The hot side, obviously, being your mash kettle, and then the the cold side being the the ferment side. So, pretty much all you do at Wildflower is you get your your work contracted from a brewery down the road. I believe Batch uh, you, uh, might be a couple other breweries that you do. I don't I'm not sure, but that gets brewed on site elsewhere the work you guys transfer it to the brewery what big ibc type containers and chuck them in in your tanks pitch your yeast and then let it sort of age out in in, in barrels is that is that how the, i guess a shortened version of how it all happens oh yeah like i said our um our beer doesn't really start in the brew house it certainly like in the way that we make beer in the way that we talk about it in the way that we think about it it starts in the riverina in Collyambly. so growing that barley, uh, harvesting it, looking at the realities of a harvest year, what the quality of the barley is like, and then and then going through the malting process with stew. And we've kind of narrowed in on what we want for the malt. So, you know, the, the brew doesn't start when you open the bag by any means. Um, brewing starts well before that, many, many months. I guess the only thing I would say, yeah, the beer is brewed off-site. We, we, we go brew it in the vast majority of cases. So. When I left Batch, I said, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go start my own brewery, um, but can I still use your brew house? And I suppose for your, for your listeners, those who are thinking about having a, starting a brewery, for us, this was a manageable way to, to mitigate the amount of cash that we needed to spend up front mm. in setting up the, the business, um, was to utilize downtime on underutilized assets, brew houses. Not every brewery utilizes their brew house every single day. And due to the nature of our fermentations, we needed our own space. And we needed to ferment our beer separately than the brew house. So we adopted a model called contract work making. So instead of contract, people talk about contract brewing. 
and traditionally you would imagine that the beer is fermented at the place where the conch where the wort is made in a contract brewing arrangement yep whereas ours is, is i guess a bit different where i hire the equipment uh, so i go into me or our head brewer chase will we'll go over to batch and 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 just you use their brew house and brew our own wort when they're not using it so it's it's a bit of a frustrating it can be frustrating at times because of course it's batches brew house and when they need to brew they need to brew and anyone who's been in it worked in the industry knows that that can change pretty quickly yeah it's 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 the price we pay i suppose for for the flexibility that we have in wort making we can adjust the size of batch that we need so we you know if we need more wort we can just go brew a double if we need big amounts of wort like we did a collaboration with brian martin a winemaker in murray bateman using his smoke and grapes and we needed a lot of work quickly and so i was able to phone around and find a bigger brew house and contract work at a bigger brew house that we've worked in the past over at yuli's so there's a there's a nimbleness baked into that approach that we have carried with us and i think that's been it suited us quite well in the idea that because of the nature of what we do nothing is completely certain in terms of the outcomes of the products. Like we, when we put a beer in a bottle, we don't know exactly when we're going to release it. And that's an issue for cash flow, obviously. Mm. So if we had big equipment financing loans hanging over our heads, we might make decisions differently and not necessarily in the, for the betterment of the beer. Um, whereas this is, this is quite easy. If a beer's not ready, well, we just don't release it because we, we, we don't have the loans to pay back. We're not, the bank's not knocking on the door wondering yeah, when point. they're going to get the cash. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty, um, it, this is a pretty nitty gritty thing to get into, but like I was talking about when I was in Europe, like this is completely in keeping with how we make our beer was the ability to, to make those decisions based on the end product first. If we were making lager or something that was more predictable, probably wouldn't be as worried about it, but uh, we, and I want to say we, I mean, I opened Wildflower with my brother-in-law, Chris, and his wife and my, my wife. So there's four of them, you know, four owners, I suppose, but two, two couples. And, and I mean, that's it. Like there's no other investors. There's no mm. bootstrapping. Oh, sorry, it was completely bootstrapped. So we, we don't have to answer to anyone other than ourselves. And there's a huge amount of relief in that for me. And it, it really allows us to, to make the decisions the decisions are a lot much easier to make because you're not you're not releasing a beer prematurely in order to pay some bills. And yeah. you know, one time it only takes one time of doing that for um your reputation to to start to slip. It's sometimes a, a touchy question to ask sometimes. Some people are a lot more willing to share intimate details on how much money they used or borrowed or to fund the operation, but it's costing people around 500 grand to a million dollars to open up anywhere from a medium sized brew pub to, you know, a, a production brewery. So these are a lot of the, the figures that seem to get thrown around a lot um, from the series one podcast, doing the sort of model that you've done with wildflower significantly cheaper. If you were to give a percentage value, what would you say that would be? It's hard to say because our costs come so slowly and we hold our our cash flow is so tied up for so long so it wasn't a case of just dumping money in at once and then away you go you know so i actually couldn't give you a figure to be honest i would 
off the top of my head, it would be lower than that 500k. Yep. But you have to remember that that's scalable to the to the to the revenue of of the operation. We 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 don't make very much beer, um, mm. so we're not bringing in heaps of cash as well. So, you know, uh, I suppose I'd be more comfortable with spending more money on a setup if I had bigger aspirations in terms of the sales output. So yeah, really everything was just kept small because that's what we were comfortable with. Like I, you know, I'm still very young. Managing a team is not my expertise by any means. I know that I wasn't a great employee because I don't, I don't like people telling me what to do. And we, we knew early on that we weren't going to be able to have a big team, not, not, not only because of my inability to well not inability but my lack of desire to to manage hr things but also because the what we do has a ceiling i suppose what we have a ceiling you know i, I want to be involved with the beer i don't want to i don't want to not be involved with the beer making process at some stage in the future of my brewery like i didn't get into this to answer emails and be on sales trips like i get into this and make beer yeah. and, and blend it and drink it so if we start to grow outside of the realms basically where we are um or too much then then the demands on my time are more varied and and not not here like i you know i'm last two days i've just been putting up pallet racking and building things to make us more efficient cut a hole in a wall to to help with um bottling be a little bit easier and like i don't know i I love that stuff like i want to do that i don't want to be paying I'm trading to come in to do that because I'm so busy or, you know, I don't know, sitting in some board meeting, someone telling me what to make, like, no way. Yeah, that is uh, a theme that developed over the series one of the podcasts about if you are looking at scaling up, the days of you just wanting to be the head brewer and thinking that, you know, you can do all the other stuff like the marketing, the sales, the accounting, you know, all the business operations side, if you're going to be scaling up high volume, you know, uh, then you, you can't be both, you know, that's, that's, you, you have to make a decision as whether you want to be the brewer or the general manager of the business. And, uh, but basically what yeah. you're saying, keep it small and within the confines of what you're comfortable with, you know, there's n- nothing sort of stopping you from being able to do both or, or, you know, you, you're in with, in business with your wife and, and, um, you, uh, was it your brother-in-law? Right. Or, yeah, yeah, my brother. So I, I guess they can they all chip in in some parts of the business. I imagine is that how it's how the arrangement is? Yeah, I mean both of our wives have jobs outside of the brewery, but they do chip in. Yeah, but Chris, Chris and I work this our full time job. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, moving into I guess a bit more about the business side. I'd like to know what are some of the the challenges I guess that being a unique brewery like like Wildflower face in Australia. I mean, Australia is an emerging or the craft beer market in Australia is still growing. We're definitely not at the beginning, you know, with recent changes of excise and the consumer understanding of craft beer is getting greater. How does someone like yourselves sort of try to educate people about, you know, what you're offering? Because, you know, craft beer is new to a lot of people here in Australia, the average beer drinker. Then you're doubling down even more into the, the 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 beers that you guys are making. How do you sort of create that buzz and that interest into people coming in and trying your beers or purchasing beers online? 
Yeah, I, I think it's a good question. I think another reason I don't really want to grow too too much more is that for, for me, I, I think the best thing that we can do for our beer, our marketing, or anything for the market is is for for me to spend more time here at the brewery, not out and about doing events or or, or whatever else I would do outside of the brewery. Uh, so I think our mindset is that our mindset is that we focus on making the beer the way that we want it and just hope and have anecdotal evidence in the past you know four years of operating that if we do our best like and we're really focusing on what we do so keeping our blinders on in some aspects going very internal and focusing only on what we do uh, then there will be someone out there that wants to taste the outcome of those projects those experiments so when we're making a beer or with the amount of beer that we make we don't think about the market at, at all really i don't think oh people are liking this we need to bring more of it our, our timelines are so blown out that we can't we can't turn on time and change what we do we just have to do what we feel is right and what we would like to do and by doing things that keep us interested I think there's a there's a flow on effect for for our for the people that enjoy our beer that they they're interested because we're interested. Like I, I think I think that's one of the main things about people that drink our beer is, is they're sort of curious about flavor, about fermentation, just as much as we are. And so I think we've been very lucky in, in that there's a group of people in Australia that drink across category and are are willing to to have their preconceived notions of products not burden them down in and not and eventually not taste something that that we make so i i i'm not sure how to answer the question because i couldn't tell you the percentage i mean i don't know our demographic like i, I have no clue like i wouldn't i've never looked at those stats we, we don't even look at them at you know what our drinker is or where they're located or what like genuinely no clue we focus on what we do and essentially cross your fingers that someone is interested in that as well. I, I guess it, it comes back to, you know, what you were talking about in terms of your interest in things that are organic, you know, in terms of the food and the, the way ingredients are sourced. And, and that's very much how you guys have grown very organically. And I guess that's what you can call your marketing strategy is it's very organic. It's word of mouth. It's, people coming in, having unique experiences. It's, you know, not going to your local BWS or Dan Murphy's to get your beer. You know, they've got to come and make the journey and experience it for themselves. And and I had the pleasure of um, actually going to your brewery for the first time a, a month ago. And, and that's essentially how I felt, you know. I felt like you're not going to be able to get these types of beers anywhere else in, in this, this area. I mean, there's going to be other breweries that might do other types of blending and using wild yeast but what i'm experiencing is very unique and one of a kind and i think that's sort of the i guess appeal that you you let off to people that are getting to know you and i guess you don't really need to push the marketing too much because the beer speaks for itself yeah i, I think that's largely right i mean i don't want to come, come off as flippant like i'm, I'm not <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to sound like i don't care about the people that drink a beer or what they want not at all it's yeah it couldn't be further from the truth um it's just that those aren't those aren't guiding our decisions when we're when in 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 the brewery. You know, it's not oh, people didn't like this aspect or that or whatever. Okay, well let's let's change that. If if it's if we, we 
we're in a very lucky and incredibly lucky position to 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 be able to genuinely make the beer that we want to drink. That, I think that's why a lot of people think about making beer initially, and and then there's there's a lot of things that get in the way, like that maybe you start making beer that you didn't want to make in the first place, and that's fine. I mean, everyone needs to run their their business, and you can't be part of sustainability as a business is is sustaining business. You you can't achieve your goals um, if you're out if you're dogmatic and broke. So I, don't know, I think we're just really lucky to be in that that little like a little sweet spot, I suppose. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do with the nature of the beer that we make. At, at the same time, like I, before I was before I was into beer, I was really into bespoke shoemaking, like starting with leather leather and making classic English shoes. And I followed this um, blog of a couple in. Um, in the UK, who were making shoes on Savile Row, you know, right in the center of, of um, high class English showman's wear. And they just shared everything about what they did. Like there was no secrets behind what they did. And that, that drove me more to want to learn more about it because they, they weren't shielding their incredibly prized craft. They weren't making it inaccessible and saying no one can touch this in fact it was so the opposite by sharing more by being more open it encouraged me to like oh i can't wait to buy a pair of shoes from them like it'll cost me like five thousand quid so it's going to take me a long time to get there but i'll definitely do that someday because like i i respect what they do so much i'd happily put my money towards that and i think that has carried on for me and how we make our beer and being very open about it i think that's maybe more of the approach that we've taken, I suppose, with with both marketing as well as interest, like just share what you're going through, share the process. Like that's fascinating. Like we all love that, and I think I love seeing that from breweries that are you know posting recipes and they're yeah. and they're um tell, talking about the technical details of what makes this batch different than the one before or whatever, or just just breweries that are just doing things their own way, like focusing on um. So say I'm saying using these two examples, but like focusing on lager or focusing on English cascales. Like I can't wait for those breweries to open in Sydney. You know, I I'll be front and center um waiting to drink those beers because I mean, sure, maybe your market appeal isn't as big, like you won't have the same amount of punters lining up, but you, you don't have to please everybody. Like you you and you're not gonna be able to, even if you try. Like this isn't a popularity contest like make like genuinely I, I people you say it a lot but i think it's harder to remember in the heat of the moment like genuinely make, make beer that you want to drink and and it actually is fairly simple and don't be apologetic if you don't have a beer that someone else wants to drink i mean we, we get people here all the time at cellar door that want to drink other things and we just say like oh we just don't do that like this is what we do and explain it and you know if if they're after just a clean pale or a lager i'll say look we don't do that um you know who does right on the corner is grifter or batch or sauce or whatever and and i'll happily i would much rather those people go off and enjoy that experience that they have in one of those other breweries than try to force them to drink what we what we make like i'm not going to be able to win them over if their mindset's already separate however at the same time some you know sometimes people go oh okay that's cool yeah well let's try what you do and and then you get a opportunity to introduce them to something that they didn't know existed before and that's a really great situation as well but yeah we just don't make beer for everyone like you i know that (laughs) that's we we're we're not going to be on tap at a maryvale venue any any time that i can ever see 
Um, we're just not that uh, broad. We just don't have that same sort of broad appeal. But I'm, I'm so I'm so okay with that. Like very very at peace with that. And and I think they're very wise words in in terms of be what you want to be. And and there's so many brews that you come across, and some of them make some great beers, but sometimes they just the, the core range is so big and so wide and varying to, to try to attract capture of people into their brewery. And I understand that sort of model, but, but I guess what you're, you're trying to say is basically, and, and you said it quite well, is try to appeal it to a certain drinker or, or a, a certain style and do it really, really well and become, and become successful that way. I mean, I hear breweries like Artisan Brewing in in um, WA who just do Belgian style beers, and and I've even had these sort of ideas pop in my head that instead of me trying to just do the another IPA, another parallel, you know, with a lager, and you know that's my core range, maybe try to be offer something unique because there aren't a lot of these well-made European style beers that are here in Sydney and 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 across Australia. I mean, there are. There are handfuls of them and those that, you know, just specialise in them. But um, I think we need more of them rather than the same parallel being produced going into your local bottle shop, you know. Let's, uh, and that, that, that is something that has sort of come into my business plan over the, the last nine months or so doing this podcast is what can I do differently? And hearing people's story like, you know, what you guys have done at Wildflower is definitely an inspiration to people who are looking at doing something slightly different. So but I guess maybe moving on to that and, and maybe closing this episode out, I'd love it, I'd love it if you could leave some, some um, even more, I guess, advice and, and words of wisdom for, for people who may want to do a similar model, um, specialising in wild ales or, or offering a unique type of beer offering. Um, what sort of advice would you, would you give them? Yeah, I'll, I'll happily do that, Chris. But what um, can I just ask, just to carry out, sorry to change yeah, the like table, that. but. What um what what have you changed about your business plan? Are there different? Are you thinking about focusing on a certain wheelhouse of of beers? Or I mean, you'll you'll find this as well when you go to Slow Lane as well. Um, but yeah, has has that kind of changed? Like trying to 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 hone in on one thing instead of being a jack of all trades. Yeah, it, it has. I mean, I had you know, I, I'm I'm a big lover of German style beers. I've started to become more familiar with uh, Belgian style beers. If I were to have a crack at the, the Belgian style sort of beers, I'd have to become more and more learned in, in, in how to go about. I haven't brewed too many of them, to be honest. And I think just narrowing down on those you know, particular style sets, I think it will just create more buzz because like, like I was saying, the, the craft beer market here in, in Australia is starting to become more and more saturated. The consumer market's becoming more and more evolved. You know what? What new and exciting thing can I offer people? And and you know you hear so many people say, oh, it's another brewery making the same parallel. And I don't really want to be that brewery. If I'm going yeah. to do this, I, I want to yeah be different and and be a, a handful of those breweries that are you know just maybe pushing the envelope a little bit. Yeah, cool. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll look forward to seeing what style you you push the envelope with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um. Uh, maybe I'll lean on you for some advice, especially the yeast side. I find that that story of how you cultivated all those, you know, different strains extremely fascinating. I had um, Avi Shavitz from Lalamond on um, in the uh, series one. He's a um, 
a research graduate um, over in Canada and some of the things he was telling us about about the future of yeast and and what it, he made a bold statement that yeast can potentially replace hops in the future it probably never will but it has that potential of creating the same flavors and um, aromas that you you know you experience in in hops so you know yeast is a very um, interesting topic it's really interesting to see what you've done with it and turned it into a successful business yeah cool mm. thanks but yeah with any parting advice i mean the amount of independent beer that's out there is is still very little when you look at the percentage of beer sold in, or the volume of beer sold in australia so I, I i don't see a bubble and and particularly i don't see a bubble when if you if you want to focus on something different like a, you know there's a there's enough people out there that are interested in similar things so i think honing in on one thing you're 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 always going to have a market by by doing that so it wouldn't be you know someone might i i just feel i often hear people talk about a bubble or you know things is so saturated or whatever i i just I just can't see that in reality. It's not saturated. There's a lot of breweries, but think about how many bakeries there are in Australia as well. Like <laughs> it's, it's um, not everyone needs to be huge, right? Um, and distribute it all across the country all the time. And I think the breweries that we've seen open up in the past, particularly three years outside of a handful, have definitely taken a more local approach. So I can just not, just had, had their sites set on a smaller target and i don't think that's a bad thing i think that's the that would be the the advice is just don't it's so easy as you start making beer to sell out a batch and then realize oh man we need to make another batch or we need to double that batch size and you can just get caught in this cycle of growing and growing and growing and growing and taking out more loans and more equipment and growing and growing and you kind of just have to open your eyes at some stage and go shit i'd like who do I work for? Is it me or the bank or my, you know, my shareholders? Or is this the beer that we wanted to make the first time? I, you know, like, I think it's totally reasonable to have breweries out there that are run by people that are part-time, you know, in, in, in the brewery. Like, I, I don't know. I, I just, maybe just, I, I guess the advice would be to consider what it is that you actually want out of this at the same time as when you, if it's, if it's money, well, then yeah, I mean, you're gonna have to go big, and you're gonna have to, to do a lot of different things than anyone else. But if it's if it's lifestyle, and you want to have the holidays that you want to have, and the time with your family, if you have a family, like consider that and think about that before you take out your third equipment financing loan for a million bucks. Like yeah. you know, it's it seems easy once you're in the the run of it because people are throwing cash at you. You're like, yeah, shit, all right, let's get more stainless, let's do it. But um just I, I would just i would just have maybe set up set up flags for yourself i suppose that would be there's an there we go like as you go maybe, maybe these aren't realistic flags maybe as you cross them or you you say I'll, I'll never do this or whatever and then by the time that you do that you know it's, it's just not a bad thing but just set them up so that you pause and and look back and reflect on okay was this what i intended or maybe it's better if you get bigger it's completely up to you but just bake in some reflection time i suppose for yourself as you get going because it's 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 so easy to end up at a place where you where you didn't want to be yeah not something that i guess i was thinking that we'd uh, end up being able to offer the the audience today in terms of advice but a lot of philosophical type advice uh, i guess has been shared today and about 
what sort of brewery you want to be and how big do you want to be big do you want to be small do you want to add the lifestyle do you want to conquer the world so yeah some really good advice and, and parting words there and just to wrap things up mate if people want to come to your brewery uh, whereabouts exactly are you guys located obviously in the inner west but um how, how do guys find your brewery and and even purchase your beers um if they, they can't make it to the brewery especially with lockdown going on yeah um well we're just on a little end of a one of a dead end street called um bronton street in, in marrickville so if you know the inner west it's just behind the big on the park hotel we're very close to grifter brewing we're like you know three minute walk to to them there and they're very good friends of ours so yeah just in the inner west we're open on fridays and saturdays for tasting when it's not locked down <laughs> and um we have a very functioning web shop that we've had for years at wildflowerbeer.com and that's the same handle for twitter and instagram and everything just wildflower beer if you ever have questions you can shoot them through in an email or or instagram you know a message it's just me and chris and we have luke and chase and Phoebe. so there's a really small team and you'll know who you're talking to and um we're we're very open as as i said before so don't don't hesitate at all Perfect. Well, thanks again, Topher, for coming on the Build Me a Brewery podcast. I really appreciate your time, mate. No worries, Chris. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for listening to the Build Me a Brewery podcast. I hope you all enjoyed our interview with Topher Bohm from Wildflower. In part two of our Wild Hours and Fermentation segment, I chat with husband and wife duo Alex and Yvonne Jarman from botany-based brewery Slow Lane Brewing. For further content, visit our website, www.buildmeabrewery.com.au for more brewery building related content. I also encourage those that have yet to do so to join our 800 plus strong Build Me A Brewery Facebook group, link in the show notes, where aspiring in planning and industry professionals from Australia and overseas currently sharing their stories, opinions and advice. That's all for now. I'm Chris Hayton, your host, and this is the Build Me A Brewery podcast.